morning. I'm here. I'm alive. Praise God. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity to uh, thank all those who prayed for me during uh, the time that I was having all these heart procedures. And for those who don't know, I had a heart attack June 15th. It was a massive heart attack. I went into the VA afterwards just to update them as to my medical history because it was over a weekend. They really weren't involved. And the guy looked at the records and he said, oh, we call that one the Widowmaker. And I said, well, I'm still here. And then July uh, 15th, I had another procedure. And then September 11th, I had another procedure. So I had, in the end, I had four stents put in my arteries, and so now I'm fine, okay? I'm fine. I'm full of titanium, but I'm fine. <laughs> and um, I lost 15 pounds, so that was a little, I didn't know I needed it until after I lost it. So, you know, I just, again, thank you, and I ask for your continued prayers. Um, they say it takes at least a year to recover, totally. And there's times I notice things, and uh, they never tell you about what it feels like to have four pieces of titanium in your arteries, you know, it's like, they just don't tell you, they call it, you know. So there's all these things that, that occur, weather, you know, I suppose maybe they react to weather, I don't know. But, um, so continue to pray for me uh, about that. I came to the place where, you know, I just told the Lord that... Um, as long as I have breath, I will proclaim his word because that's what God's called me to do, proclaim the word of God individually, corporately. And uh, I immediately got back on the road. In fact, actually between uh, one of the stint procedures, I was uh, uh, up in uh, New Hampshire in three different churches and that kind of aggravated it. So that's how I knew I needed something more done. And then been to Russia and Ukraine, just got back from Ohio, had a tremendous time. So again, I appreciate so much uh, the prayers that were uh, given for me. Uh, this message is really appropriate for what I've gone through, but I, I really feel this is appropriate uh, to the church. And Bill mentioned something earlier which really struck me, just the different things that we all seem to be going through, or we know someone who's going through it. And so the title of this message is, What is the Purpose of Suffering in the Life of the Believer? What is the Purpose of Suffering in the Life of the Believer? I want to say first off that I, this is not going to be inclusive. I mean, when I finished the message, I thought of more things, but the Lord said, no, keep it simple. But uh, these are some pertinent areas. I want to preface my message by saying I, I believe in divine healing. I've seen divine healing. I believe in deliverance. Uh, but there's times where God does not heal. That's a reality. There's times that God does not heal. And as I thought about that, I thought about some of the things that people say. Well, it was a lack of faith. You know, that's why God didn't heal you. And you need to do this and this and this and maybe memorize more scripture. You know, you've heard these things. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that really gets into a works thing. You know, if I do enough, then I'll be able to receive my healing. And then the other one is, you know, it's the devil. It's the devil. 
he kind of gets the blame for everything. But uh, what I realized there was, you know, in my life, at least, God is bigger than the devil. You know, it's like, okay, so the devil has enough power and authority to overrule God who wants to do something. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, really, God is God. You know, the devil is a created being. God is uncreated. You know, basically, the devil's this big. God is huge. So that doesn't uh, address it either. So I truly believe myself, and and this is personal, that nothing happens in the life of a believer that is without purpose. Nothing is by accident. Nothing is coincidence. Nothing catches God off guard. It isn't like something happens and God happened to be turned the other way and turns around and goes, oh my gosh, I need to fix that. You know, he's right there. Uh, There's a teaching that I gave recently on being in the palm of God's hand and how We are etched in the palm of his hand, and everything that happens, happens in the palm of his hand, is under his control, and he is overseeing that, and I believe that, so that all things that happen have a purpose, have a purpose. Okay, first of all, is is it the will of God that Christians suffer? Look at 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that first part? If need be. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if it is necessary, you're grieved by various trials, if need be. Because there's a need for it, a purpose. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14. And actually, Peter is just filled with this, and we're going to move through Peter and then come out on the other side. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Do not think it strange. Do not be surprised. What it's saying is here, there should be actually an expectation because it's something that's normal in the life of a Christian, something that we need to be prepared for. Finally, Peter sums up his thoughts on suffering in 1 Peter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. I thought about a verse uh, in Lamentations. The other night I was looking this over. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? If, in fact, 
God allows you to suffer according to his will. We are to commit our souls to him as a faithful creator. Now, I've heard many people, and they, they, they try to lock these things in, and they, they say, well, you know, this kind of suffering isn't just suffering. I mean, it, it's basically just persecution. We're just talking about persecution, okay? I looked up the Greek word, and the Greek word is pasco, and it means to experience a sensation or impression, usually painful, to feel and to suffer. It is a general word used for suffering for physical, mental, emotional, spiritual suffering, just suffering. He could have easily said, uh, suffer persecution. He didn't say that. He said suffering. So it is God's will that there be times of suffering in the life of the believer. In fact, the word of God says it is needful. It is necessary. Why? What is, what is the purpose uh, of the suffering? Number one, number one, we learn obedience through what we suffer. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Uh, Looking to Jesus here, Hebrews 5, verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, I was with uh, uh, the man that we support in Russia, Bishop Boris Senobobnov. He's been here and he's spoken. And I've kept you up with events in his life. You know, his first wife, uh, he had 11 children. His wife actually was very healthy. And uh, she had uh, gallbladder surgery. She was in recovery. And an aneurysm in her neck broke, and she died instantly. It devastated him. He actually told me that uh, during that time, he was totally dysfunctional. And I had heard this. I I had uh, heard from various people in the area that he wouldn't even come out of his bed. He was curled up in a fetal position on his bed, moaning for days. We're talking about he wouldn't eat. Um, He was just totally out of it. So I called him, not knowing exactly what to do, just wanting to encourage him. There was no translator. He got on the phone. All he said was, oh, Gordon, Gordon, Luba, Luba, my wife. That's all he could say. I said, Boris, you know, I said something. And I said, "Uh, I'm going to pray. And I started praying in tongues. And I started, as I started praying in tongues, the power of God fell. I mean, the power of God fell. And, and I finished, and, and, you know, amen, I hung up. Well, you know, about a year later, I was at a conference. I, they actually had a prophetic conference, and I was the headline speaker. They got all their, they have a problem with um, wild prophets and prophetesses. So because of my prophetic ministry, they decided to get them all in one place and have me straighten them out. So there was... There was <laughs> There was all these, I mean, it was like, I think there was like 80 or 90 people, and it was a conference. And uh, so I was teaching on the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit and different things about the prophetic. But uh, Boris got up and he started sharing something, you know, and introducing me. He started sharing something, and he just started to weep. And I turned to the translator, I said, what's going on? He said, oh, Boris, he said he's sharing about how, you know, after Luba died, and he was curled up in the fetal position. He couldn't move, and he was just, just totally grief-stricken. And, and, I, and he said, Gordon called me. And, and as I went to the phone, I thought, what help can he be? He doesn't speak Russian, you know? And he said, he prayed in tongues for me, and as he prayed in tongues, the power of God fell on me. The power of God fell on me, and that, that, that oppression totally lifted, and I was healed, and he was weeping. 
You know, we never, we never know what we can do with uh, simple gifts. So Boris, uh, after a couple of years, remarried. He had uh, three more children, so that makes uh, 14. He had three more children, and uh, he and his wife and uh, two of the daughters were traveling back from a village after a wedding. It was late at night. There was a tractor on the side of the road. They swerved to, to miss the tractor. The car was hit by a truck, and they were all thrown forward. Various ones received various damage, but his wife, Tanya, uh, hit her head on the, on, the da- on the dashboard and died immediately. Everybody else lived, minor damage. She died immediately, his second wife. So the next time I saw him, you know, we went into his bedroom. I had a translator. We were weeping and praying. He said, dear brother, I never thought I would ever have to face this again. I never thought I would ever have to face this again. And so I started talking to him about, you know, God will care for you. He will comfort you. He's going to use this. You know, the things that we would say in such a circumstance. And he cut me off. And he said to me, he said, dear brother, he said, I don't know about that. He said, I don't know all about that. He said, all I know is that I want to be ever more obedient. I want to be ever more obedient. Now, I, I, I thought about that. What was the motivation behind that? Was he saying, was he saying you know, I, I fear God, you know, I, I need to be obedient, lest something else happen? Or, you know, that, I, I just, that wasn't the issue. It wasn't that kind of thing. And as I prayed about this, and I was actually praying about this as, as I was preparing to deliver the message, and I woke up two days ago, and, and these words came to me. These words came to me. We are obedient not to appease an angry God, but to please a loving God. And, and, and what I realized was that, that he was stripped and he realized his utter dependency of God for God. And he just wanted more of God. He wanted to be close to God. He wanted to be right up next to God. And to do that, he needed to be pleasing to him. To be pleasing to him, he needed to be obedient. It was that simple. It was that simple. We are to be obedient not to appease an angry God, but to please a loving God, to be pleasing to God. Philippians 2, 8 and 9. Philippians 2, 8 and 9. By the way, he recently remarried again. Uh, He had three more kids, and so now he has 17, and he married a woman who had two kids, so he has 19 kids. So He's a bishop. Come on, he's a Russian bishop. There's certain expectations. (laughs) Okay. Lead by example. And being found, this is uh, Philippians 2, 8, 9, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, and I remember Bob Mumford, when he taught, he'd say, if there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. (laughs) You know? So he said, therefore, because of his obedience, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. The whole issue of the life of Jesus was obedience, even unto death, the completion of that obedience. John 5, 19 through 20. John 5, 19 through 20. 
And, and these two verses fill in the gap. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And then John 8, 28 through 30. John 8, 28 through 30. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Through obedience, through doing what the Father does, through speaking the things that the Father speaks, the Father does not leave you alone because you are doing those things which are pleasing to him, which fits in with what Boris had, had received of the Lord. Through obedience, Jesus was pleasing to the Father. Therefore, the Father was always with him. He was motivated, not by success, not by results, which is hard. We're, as Americans, we're very result-oriented. Not by results. He was motivated by obedience, just to please the Father. I remember, you know, having been in that, that, that time in the late 60s, early 70s, I got to see Catherine Kuhlman a number of times, and actually got very close to her. It was kind of scary. But uh, anyway, she used to say that I function in ministry for an audience of one, the Father. I don't care what anybody else thinks, it's the Father. When I step out and start moving in the Spirit, it's to please the Father. It's not to please people. It's not to get results. That's it, to please the Father. The other thing she said that I remember, she said, she said one of the things I'm going to ask the Lord when I come before him, is why, they, why everyone wasn't healed. She had no, no idea, and she always gave glory. She was an unusual lady, but always gave glory to the Lord, to please the Father. It should be through obedience and pleasing the Father. And we learn obedience, according to Scripture, by what? We suffer. Number two, suffering perfects us. It sanctifies us. And it cleanses us. And, and we've seen this, that fire of suffering. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. I'm just going to give three things. This is not inclusive. I mentioned that. But Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Talking about Jesus. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This, this obedience thing comes in readily, consistently in these verses, okay? Through obedience, through suffering, he learned obedience, perfected, that he might become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He was perfected through suffering. Hebrews 2.10. Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him from whom all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now this word perfect in the Greek is teleo and it means to complete, to accomplish, to finish or consummate, to make perfect. 
I like that complete. Okay? 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Did you catch that? Arm yourselves with the same mind. Be prepared. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Suffering causes us to cease from sin, to live our lives not in the lust of the flesh, but for the will of God. Isaiah 48, 10 through 11. This, this one is very clear. Isaiah 48, 10 through 11. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And we've seen verses how, you know, silver and gold are tested uh, by fire, but it says here, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. There, there's, a, there's a secret here. For how should my name be profaned, and I will not give glory to another? God cleanses us and perfects us, in the furnace of affliction, that we might not profane his name. We bear his name. We are Christians. I meant to look that up. Uh, I believe it means to be of Christ, but we are Christians. We bear his name, so he purifies us. Now, here's a quote by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, a great British revivalist. It's from a message called, If Need Be. If need be, feeds back to the other, if necessary. If the most precious are tried in the fire, are we to escape the crucible? If the diamond must be vexed upon the wheel, are we to be made perfect without suffering? Why and wherefore should we be treated better than our Lord? The firstborn felt the rod, and why not the younger brethren? It is, I like this, it is pride which would choose a downy pillow and a silken couch for a soldier of the cross. Wiser far is he who being first resigned to the divine will groweth by the energy of grace to be pleased with it. Powerful. You know, if you read anything about Spurgeon, Spurgeon bore throughout his life chronic, deep depression. Chronic, deep depression. Powerful man of God. He said it would come upon him like a huge, dark cloud, and he couldn't do anything. He was dysfunctional. He said, all I could do was walk and pray. I couldn't do anything else, and yet I had these commitments to preach. And I would go to preach, and I would come up to the pulpit, and I would stand before the people. The anointing of God would fall upon me. The depression would totally leave. The power of God would move. Powerful things would happen. My message would be perfectly clear. I would complete the message, step down off the platform, and the cloud would come back on me. That was his experience. A powerful man of God. He went on. Uh, you can read about this, and uh, there's a book called Lectures to My Students, 
and he talks a lot about this. He said it came to the place where, you know, the purifying fire and so on, he realized that God was doing this to make him into who he was called to be. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. This is, this is a great verse. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Then it says, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. <laughs> we, we pray for a visitation of God. But are we prepared for such a visitation? That's what it says. That's what it says. I mean, basically when, when, the whole, when, when God came into the temple, you remember the prophet, he said, woe is me. He was on his face. I remember Jim shared something I thought was quite profound. People were talking about these visitations of the Lord, you know, and the woman said, oh, if Jesus came in, I'd just give him a big hug, you know. I remember Jim kind of looking about. He said, he said if, if Jesus came in, I'd be on my face, <laughs> you know, on your face. This is a visitation of the Lord. Now, here's a quote from Christian history and biography regarding George MacDonald, a Victorian poet, pastor, and storyteller, regarding his life. And it says this, Throughout his life, MacDonald maintained his conviction that each event came from the hand of his heavenly Father for his good. His quiet, persistent optimism triumphed over the many reversals of his life, not because Christian faith shielded him from hardship, but because he believed that hardship and trials were the chief means by which a loving God could perfect his children. I like what he says here. What we call evil is the only and best shape which for the person and his condition at the time could be assumed by the best good. There are seasons there are times and there is a purpose. Hebrews 12, verse 10. Hebrews 12, verse 10. For they indeed for a few days, and this is regarding fathers and the heavenly father, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Here's another quote by George MacDonald. It's uh, from a message called to the Church of the Laodiceans, and it's just very, very clear. The Christian life is a constant fighting. 
You think Jesus came to save you from suffering and to do you good. He came to save you from your sins. And until you are saved from them, he will step, be, not, he will save from them. He will step between you and no suffering. As many as I love, I rebuke and chastening. Revelations 3:19. Suffering perfects us so that we might be partakers of his holiness and bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Number three, suffering equips us for life and for ministry. This is really, really clear. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 5. Suffering equips us for life and for ministry. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Suffering causes us to have compassion for the weak and the suffering. We are able to comfort those in trouble with the comfort with which God comforts us. Uh, Dr. Charles Farah, who was one of the pastors and founders in our church, a Presbyterian pastor, teacher, and, and author, he said this one time, he was talking to me, he said, you know, he asked me, he said, you know, Gordon, why the strong should strengthen the weak? He, do, he did that kind of thing. And I said, well, uh, uh, no. He said, the strong should strengthen the weak because they never know when they will become the weak. We all will pass through suffering. <laughs> it was like putting money in the bank. Chuck was very practical, you know. We, we comfort the, the, the weak. We will at one point become the weak. Suffering develops in us godly character. Through suffering, we actually become stronger. Now, I got into these verses. You know, I minister to a lot of special forces guys because of my son, and you wouldn't believe how many of these guys are Christians and love the Lord. I got a big kick. There was this one guy who was a senior weapons sergeant, special forces, and he looks the part, just dashingly handsome and big and strong. And he was sitting in the back of the church, and he's a very strong Christian, big church, and uh, it's a teaching church. It's really, really a good, good church. And uh, he was sitting in the back, and I asked him, I said, uh, I said, oh, what are you sitting? He said, oh, I'm one of the ushers. Okay, he was one of the ushers. He was armed, an armed usher. <laughs> because, I mean, the place is full of special ops guys and, you know, colonels and generals, and they're off post, you know, and it was a reality. But he's sitting there, and he said, I'm an usher. But anyway, I, you know, hanging with these guys, you know, you just, you, 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 there's a whole different mentality, and it really helps because for me, I mean, it's a very spiritual thing because basically soldiers, you know, warfare, soldiers, military, okay? Suffering actually makes you stronger. No pain, no gain. That's one of their key ones. Here's the other one I really like. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Okay, it didn't kill me, I'm going to be stronger. Muscle mass is built through dynamic tension and pressure. And if you know anything about bodybuilding, it's actually the muscle tears and rebuilds and tears. It's, it's painful. If there's no pain, there's no gain. You actually become stronger through suffering. James 1, 2 through 4. 
James 1, 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I like the uh, New International Version. It says the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See this, this strength, endurance. And actually, uh, the translation of the Greek is cheerful, hopeful endurance. That's the actual uh, translation. Cheerful, hopeful endurance. 1 Peter 5.10. 1 Peter 5.10. A lot of verses on suffering. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Okay? The New International says, after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. This is what comes through suffering. This is what comes through suffering. Strength, patience, and steadfastness. Here's another quote by Spurgeon. Glory be to God for the furnace, the hammer, and the file. Heaven shall be all the fuller of bliss because we have been filled with anguish here below. And earth shall be better tilled because of our training in the school of adversity. Our training in the school of adversity. Suffering equips us for life and to minister to the needs of others. Three purposes of suffering in the life of the believer. And again, this is not inclusive. Number one, we learn obedience. Number two, we are perfected and cleansed. And number three, we are equipped for life and ministry. Suffering in the life of a Christian is needful, for it has purpose and benefit both in this life and the life to come, and the life to come. A couple of other thoughts on suffering. Number one, God is in control and will not allow you to suffer beyond your ability. And you think of this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overcome you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. This word temptation in the Greek is parisimos, and actually it means to be disciplined through provocation, by implication to test or try by adversity. So really temptation in that sense is not a terribly good translation. What it should say is this, No trial of adversity has overtaken you, except such as common to man, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tried or tested beyond what you are able, but with the trial of adversity will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is in control. He oversees every circumstance of your life. He will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able. I remember going through just extreme uh, suffering and extreme mental anguish 
and saying to the Lord, Lord, you have a much too high an esteem of my capabilities, <laughs> you know, because according to the scripture, you know, so I had to dig really deep, but God, God knows. Uh, there's a quote by Francois Fenlon, uh, Archbishop of Cambry, 1400s. He was a Catholic mystic. He said this, we must carry the cross as a treasure. It is through the cross that we are made worthy of God and conformed. And this is one of the purposes I didn't put in here that I got later, that we are conformed to the likeness of his son through suffering. Crosses are a part of our daily bread. God regulates the measure of them according to our real wants, which he knows and of which we are ignorant. Let him do as he wills and he will, he will, and let us resign ourselves into his hand. He measures them according to our real needs because he knows, but we are ignorant. God is in control, will not allow too much to come upon us. Finally, number two, the sufferings we endure as Christians are not our sufferings, but actually the sufferings of Christ. Now this, we're going to tap this lightly. This is a mystery. This is a mystery. They are not your sufferings, but the sufferings of Christ. Colossians 3.3. 3. If you want to turn there. Colossians 3, verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2:20 Tap into this mystery. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. If we are truly dead and hid with Christ in God, then it is no longer we who live, but Christ living in us. A dead person can't suffer. So it is Christ in us who is suffering, and we have entered into the fellowship of his sufferings. Many of these undeserved, and we're going to quote something here. I remember Drew Graham, uh, an old Scottish prophet, he used to say, if you kick a dead dog, he won't bark. He used to say that in regard to the fact that I was still barking and I needed to be kicked some more. But, okay. But that's why the scripture is able to say, and we read the first Peter four, verse twelve through thirteen, to not think it's strange. As though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. We we didn't point that out when we read that verse earlier, but that's what it says. You are partaking of Christ's sufferings. Paul even goes so far in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 25, to say this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. What in the world does that mean? He is filling up in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, Christ's afflictions? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But that's what it says, that we are dead, that we, were, we are hid with God. We are hid with Christ in God. It is no longer we who suffer. 
It is Christ suffering in us, a true mystery. Richard Wormbrandt, who really was a modern mystic, a pastor who spent 16 years in prison, three years in solitary confinement, considered this his church and really was a friend of this church. In his book, Victorious Faith, he said this, and I'm going to read it really slow because this is, uh, this is the last quote. I want to read this really slow. Every man who becomes a Christian becomes an innocent sufferer because he bears punishment he no longer deserves. Immanuel Kant wrote, the criminal has a right to punishment. A former murderer, liar, adulterer, drunkard, or sinner, or of whatever kind, will continue to suffer for the results of his past life, even after his conversion. Though through repentance, he has become an entirely new creature who normally would not have to suffer. The sorrows and pains which the new man suffers for the old man are a continuation of the sufferings of Christ. Do not worry. You will have your part of suffering and also the joy of being able to suffer, but you will have been saved from your sins. The sufferings that we suffer are actually the fellowship of his sufferings. God will not allow more than we can endure, and suffering is needful for the benefit of our spiritual life. Amen. Let me pray for you. If we could stand, just commit this to the Lord. And I, I know I didn't answer all your questions. It's uh, When you tap something like this, you just do as best you can, a brush stroke. As I finished it, I even thought of more things. But Lord, we just want to commit this to you. that we would understand your loving hand in the midst of what you have called us to endure. And truly, for a Christian who is seeking you, as best they know how, Lord, that all things have purpose for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of our salvation. And we just want to thank you. We want to thank you. for your sovereign action and your sovereign grace in our lives and that you never allow too much to come upon us, but just that measure, that amount that is needful. And we trust you. We ask, Lord, for your forgiveness for unbelief and doubt and the accusations of Satan that come in that we in our flesh and our weakness agree with. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, to help us to really get a grip on the word of God and on the character of our Savior. God, help us with that. And bless us and bring this word back to our remembrance in those times of need, either for ourselves or for others. God, we pray for that and we, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.